Hi, I'm Dan from Desert Island Dicks, and this episode features Will Seabag Montefiore. He's an actor, comedian, writer. He's done funny videos online that you can check out. And uh, yeah, he's a funny and nice man. So uh, that makes for a good podcast, in my opinion. I'm going to keep this fairly short today. You know, the deal with these things. I ask if you could subscribe and give us a rating and all that sort of stuff. So let's just assume I've gone through all of that and let's crack on with the podcast because I think that's what most of you are actually interested in. Let's get into it. It's Desert Island X with Will Seabag Montefiore. Hi, I'm Dan Benedictus and welcome to Desert Island Dicks, the show that sees you marooned on a desert island after a plane crash with the worst people and worst things imaginable. Who they are and why they're a dick is up to our guest and here to share their Desert Island Dicks with us today is comedian and actor Will Seabag Montefiore. How are you doing? Hello Dan, I'm good, how are you? Yeah, good, thank you, good. I'm. Uh, we're recording after the bank holiday so I'm slightly blurry and kind of wandering around wondering what I'm doing with my life but that's okay hey that's okay you, you and Prince Charles both oh King Charles sorry shit <laughs> I can't Charles. stop calling him Prince Charles as well I think I'm just going to stick with it you know it's like it's Henman Hill and Prince Charles <laughs> why do they have to keep changing everything I don't like change I want everything to remain the same did you yeah. did you watch the the Corrie Bobs no, I didn't. I went off with some friends to climb Mount Snowden, so we were we were on our way up a mountain during that. Although I saw a couple of people climbing the mountain with Union Jacks strapped to their backpacks, which I in thought Wales, was that's very bold. odd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you specifically go there to get away, <laughs> get some high ground just in case? <laughs> yeah, no, it was. Um, I'm very indifferent to the royals, so it was just something we'd planned, but it ended up being yeah, that yeah. weekend. But I, I'd say indifferent. I think. I was always fairly indifferent to the royals, but I'm increasingly becoming much more of a staunch Republican every day that goes by, I think. <laughs> just I moving know. from indifference, just going along the spectrum to soon being a revolutionary. Yeah. How about you? Oh, I don't I don't care about them at all. I, I think I'm definitely a Republican, which has connotations in America, right? Republicanism is totally yeah, different. Yeah, I find it vibe. weird. I always have to check myself when I say it because I'm like, oh, God, no, that's Trump. Yeah, we, which one do we like? Do we like the Republic or the, or the democracy? I don't remember. Um, yeah, no, I don't. I don't really care for them. But I, th- I found it very funny that, like, because my my mum's Scottish and my fiance is Irish, so I was very much like, I didn't have any bro- being brought up. Not that I was brought up by my fiance; that'd be weird. But being brought up <laughs> by um, a Scottish woman, it was always like, oh, who gives a shit? And like, whenever the Queen's speech was on at Christmas, we'd turn it off and go, "Take that, Queenie." Um, but then we like, my mum was going off to a little party to watch it, and I was like, "You've changed, Liz." <laughs> Sorry, mum, if you're listening to this, I love you. I love you with all my heart and you haven't changed at all. <laughs> well, look, I tell you what, there's, it looks like we've got more than enough material to sort of uh, stoke our fires with uh, what we're about to do, which is, you know, ask you who and what you would hate to be stuck with on a desert island. I mean, did you find it difficult sort of whittling down your choices for this? Yeah, I I think I think I don't find it that, and this is not a criticism of the podcast, but I find it very difficult to be like, to remain negatively charged towards someone for too long. Mm. I think it, it fosters like negativity within, within yourself and then it just puts you in a bad mood. Um, 
And I, I've worked a lot with a, a comedian called Abandoman, uh, aka Rob Broderick. Well, the other way around, Rob Broderick, aka Abandoman. I, I don't know which one is it, aka is, <laughs> but his shows are very celebratory of people, and it's a the shows feel very victimless and very uplifting. And that working with him has really been like, whoa, that's what I really want to achieve in in like my creative work. And so now I'm here to completely take down three people. <laughs> so I feel conflicted about it, but it, it is, it's fun. It's always fun when you find someone who you're like, they wind me up. You know, it's my belief that the world would be better without this podcast, you know, and until we clear the world of all these dicks, you know, it's just this hard work that we have to do, yeah, you know, yeah. and then one day we'll have our final episode and we'll all live in peace. But until that day, we are here. <laughs> there are no more dicks. There's just desert islands. <laughs> Okay, well, let's get on with the with the choices in hand. Uh, who's going to be the first person joining you on the island today? First person was an easy choice. The first person is Matt Hancock. Mm, yes, yes, okay. Has he been? Has he been on the pod before? Has he been on the island with other people? He has been on the podcast, but you know what? If, I feel like it's been a little while, and uh, you know, he still kept serving up the goods in the meantime. <laughs> so I reckon it's time we took a fresh look at Matt Hancock. Great. Well, I think first of all, I'm, I'm think I was thinking about this very much, like how it would be for me on the island, like, and I think it would be very awkward with Matt Hancock and I because I my first video that I made online that went like viral or whatever was an interview, a fake interview with Matt Hancock where I cut his lines out and interviewed him, and I think there's a good chance. If not him, his team saw that video because it was shared by lots of civil servants and people. So that would be awkward because I made fun of him. I also have done, I've done a lot about Matt Hancock, actually. <laughs> so uh, it would be awkward because I made fun of him loads. I also think we'd actually probably get on. Uh, like uh, we're both posh and we both sort of like wine and restaurants and I've played golf before, you know, <laughs> like I think we'd be able to have like a shared uh, frame of reference and that would annoy me more. Because I think, I think the cultural low point of the 21st century was when he went on "I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of mm. Here," and yeah. I feel like this would be a real life version of that. Definitely, and I think he'd be bringing all that life experience. He'd probably end up sort of mansplaining to you how how it worked, and like, well, listen, when I ate some weird, weird shit on on "I'm a Celebrity," <laughs> I approached it like this. Like, oh, yeah, just, yeah. just leave me alone. Yeah, and like he'd someone else would find a coconut and then a couple of days later he'd be like guys remember how well i found that coconut yeah it was an amazing thing that i did i think i wanted to choose someone who was a politician and representative of sort of the political class at the moment who i think are sort of like really enjoy that it's just a game yeah and yeah i uh i wouldn't like it <laughs> wouldn't <laughs> like to be on the island with him also he cheated on his wife and then he kept describing that as falling in love i'm like you can't spin cheating man you just can't yeah, he's just such a, like, there's such a great selection of awful people that have been in government in the last like, 12 years that it's quite hard to, to choose one, isn't it? But he's so sort of symptomatic of the kind of people who, you know, I don't think you got into this to help anyone. You did got into this to get as far as you can, get as much as you can. You, you've, like, demonstrably done really badly in so many areas like we we all saw that and now you know it's this sort of double think where you're like hey remember when i did really well in the covid uh pandemic like no we fucking saw like and then you sort of see people starting to kind of forgive him or like treat him it's like oh look i'm on um 
I'm an I'm a celebrity now. It's like, no, 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 fuck you, man. Like, let's not yeah, whilst I'm a sitting MP. Yeah. Like that, I do think that was that the reason that made me so angry and and wound me up. Um was I think because the more you look at somebody's face and just see them interacting with people, the more human they become and the more like you understand them and you think actually they're they're quite charming and quite nice. And like that's what happens whenever I make a satirical video and I do these fake videos with people. You stare at Liz Truss for long enough, you start feeling sorry for Liz Truss. Like it just happens. And I think that would happen to me on the island. I wouldn't be able to separate the two. And I understand, I think the people to blame are all the people who allowed it to happen, but people who were just watching it. Oh, also, Boy George can fuck off. Because when Matt Hancock came in, he was like, oh, I would have, I would have left. I would have walked out. I would have left if my mum had died in the pandemic. And I was like, you can't, that's like the equivalent of being on a night out. I'd be like, mate, I was about to jump in and fight him. I was about to do, I was about to jump in and step in there. Hmm. You can't like have both the moral high ground and then not actually stand up for something. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it was part of a bad response to a huge crisis. Like he sort of muddled his way through it. There's so many things that were still, you know, like contracts being awarded to friends of the party, like loads of failings from PPE to like lockdowns to sort of like, you know, getting out of the lockdowns, like all in during all this, you're sort of having fun and having an affair. It's like, yeah, there's just no part of this. You come off well. And, and like, and then to sort of have this sort of try and have a rebrand, like at least give it a few years, you awful man. I, I just think it really blurs the line of like, it's the Trump thing of like the celebrity, the politician thing. And I, I do, I, I don't know. It just, it feels like a, it feels like, no, you're not allowed to do that, Matt. You can't have both. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can't come on and just dick about in the jungle. Like that doesn't, I, I'm allowed to do that because I'm an idiot. But you're an elected representative of the people. Like, yeah, I think there's a lot of dishonesty about, you know, why he went in. I feel like he's someone who'd like be on the island and you'd kind of get annoyed at him and just be like, oh, shut up, Matt. But then feel sorry because he's a bit <laughs> pathetic. And then it's like, <laughs> yeah. do you know what I mean? It's like that sort of little brother thing of like, oh, stop crying, you idiot. And then, go, oh, <laughs> God, I better go and help Matt get out of that hole that he's fallen into. <laughs> He's also he's on TikTok now. He's doing his TikTok, so he'd be he, you know he'd be chatting about things that he sort of has an understanding of. He's done a couple Ugh. of lip syncs, which are, I mean, I just think it would be very cringy. And also, I think the biggest thing for me as well is that I say the biggest thing. All of these things are, are the biggest thing until I remember the other things. <laughs> but he his argument that he didn't break the rules, he broke the guidelines, is such a like arguing something on a technicality, hmm. where I'm like you. No, like I went to my grandma's funeral and didn't hug my mum because we were like, don't think we should. And like, you're just smooching a colleague. Mm, doesn't seem fair, Matt. So how unfair are you going to be on this island? Exactly. I just think it's such a sort of elastic view of things. And like, it's such an important time when it's so important to be setting a good example to people. And it's like, I just had it with this kind of era of politics where not only are you clearly not following the rules, you're you're benefiting so much. It's not like, well, you know, to be fair, he broke the rules, but look at him now. He's still earning quite a lot of money and doing <laughs> fine and, and trying to change public opinion. You're like, oh, just the Teflon nature of these people. It's, like, yeah, it's yeah. just so maddening. So I think it's a perfect addition to the island. It's a great first choice. And um, I think he's going to annoy the hell out of you. So um, who's the next the person joining so you? 
I'm aware that the the danger that I, I've worried about that have imme- I've immediately fallen into, which is that this isn't very funny. <laughs> Talking about this stuff is just a bit sad. Um, so I think it's going to get sadder because uh, the next the next uh, friends that we'll have on the island is Miss is Top G Andrew Tate. Andrew Tate, yeah, okay. Let's get into Andrew Tate. Andy T. Andy T. As we call him, the big eight eight T. AT and and Antats. I'm trying to beat yours. Antats. <laughs> uh, so again, I mean, it seems like most of my interactions with these people, the only reason I read the news or know what's culturally going on is because I'm trying to make jokes about it to, to make myself the center of attention. So Andrew Tate uh, in like December had that spat with Greta Thunberg. And if you haven't seen that, it was on Twitter. It was very, very funny. You should go and look it up. And I made a video making fun of him and that got millions of views and I'm scared of him. And I think if we were on the island together, he would kick the living shit out of me. I would probably die. I think he might keep me alive just to beat me up. There would be no reason reasoning with him, and it would be it'd be like physically and mentally painful. Mm. It's just such a weird, like root one basic understanding of masculinity, isn't it? With him, it's like <laughs> yeah. I am strong. Here is my body. I have a pet wolf. I smoke cigars. <laughs> like. It's just like, oh man, you're, you've got such a fragile ego. It's like, it's <laughs> unbelievable how it's sort of like it all just feels like it's all just on a tightrope, like could come crashing down yeah, at yeah. any minute. And then like, but behind it all, you know, there's some genuinely nasty stuff with like, you know, yeah. human trafficking and stuff. So it's not even like if you were just like this awfully insecure man who had to have this sort of performative masculinity all the time that's one thing you could almost feel sorry for him but it's like you're also doing really horrible stuff a lot of the time and we're all insecure men andrew (laughs) just some of us are cooler about it (laughs) but it's true it's like it's fine if that's what you are but like but yeah you also treat people really badly and yeah and spread like this toxicity amongst young men. Yeah, I do. I like. I do genuinely worry like how it's impacting boys at school. Because like I think uh, speaking as a, a cis man, like going through, like growing up and trying to work out what masculinity is and where you fit into it, is there is a lot of associations culturally with violence and strength and stuff. And you have to do a lot of like reprogramming and working out that actually it's okay to cry and talk to your friends and not just get a pet wolf and a cigar and sit in a, a weird dressing gown with you with it <laughs> open and making videos online the idea of being stuck on an island with him and matt hancock is that you would see the human behind all the shit behind all the bravado and the like the grifting to just get you to go to hustlers university i mean what's going to happen is by the end of this time when we get rescued i will be matt hancock's personal assistant and i will have graduated from hustlers university that's what's <laughs> going to have happened I just think like Matt Hancock's going to be his little pet on a leash, you know, like, you know, like, like you'll just sort of have him on a lead and then you'll feel sorry. You'll try and rescue him now and again, but then he'll keep falling over and you're like, come on, come on, get out of here. Like, cause you know, yeah. Cause he like, cause Andrew Tate unfortunately would be this like threatening malevolent presence. I mean, yeah. maybe eventually you could break him down just, like you know intellectually but i think it would take a long time to deal with his facade i also think i yeah and it, like the chat would be tough mm. like cuz both both him and matt hancock i don't think they have a huge grasp on like good crack <laughs> you know i don't think they're like whoa what fun like his andrew tate's twitter feed is so over sincere 
And so like, I play chess in my head. I do six press-ups every four minutes. Do you understand? Like, he doesn't know the word for backpedaling either. He did a tweet about how his dad was really horrible to him, which is very sad, genuinely sad. But he took it as like, wow, my dad taught me really well. He taught me how to pack pedal. And I was like, sorry? I don't think you know what backpedaling is. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's a specific bit of his quote-unquote humor that um, really, I think, epitomizes people like him and like Lawrence Fox and people who are like conservative and provocative who I think just really want to be comedians and aren't cool or funny enough because there's a bit in the video where he um he's making about Greta Thunberg and he's like talking about how how much carbon emissions he creates and stuff and someone someone brings in pizza and it's very clear that they've brought in some pizza and they didn't know he was filming but he like does this amazing bit of improv where he says yes bring bring me pizza and and make sure these boxes are not recycled and it's like this really you can see the the cogs turning in his brain that he's like oh i can use this and i can make it into comedy (laughs) and it's just the most flat like yeah oh great and and those those guys it was a toss-up between andrew tate and lawrence fox because they both have this over sincerity and this this desperation to make jokes and every joke they make or tweet they send feels like they've sent leaning back with a glass of red wine going (laughs) (laughs) you know there's a real self-aggrandizing nature to it yeah yeah i find it just it's just horrendous so yeah the combination of these two on the island is going to be pretty pretty strong already so um Oh yeah, who's who's the final person going to be then? So the final person, I I struggled a lot. I sent you a list of like mm. all the things that I was thinking. I was I was going to go for a high school bully. Yep. Um, but I didn't think that would be that entertaining. But we're sort of covered in in Andrew Tate, isn't it? That sort of mentality. I <laughs> yeah. Think. I suppose I suppose I'm bringing someone who's stronger than me and someone who I think could intellectually outsmart me. <laughs> so I'm sort of bringing all my bullies anyway. Um, so I think I'm going to go for. Ross Geller. Okay. Ross from Friends. I think he's the worst. <laughs> I think he's exactly the sort of person who would subscribe to Andrew Tate or Jordan Peterson and be like, you know, Jordan Peterson actually has a lot to say about incest porn. It's great stuff. You know, <laughs> he he's way too handsy with his sister. He tries to kiss his cousin that time. Yes. And he's very annoying. Yeah. See, I always, I always disliked him a lot. Once though, a friend of mine said, oh, no, he's actually a good one because everyone else is just like a flat character and he has the most up and down of, of, of lots of them. Like he's the one who kind of has a crisis. He's like shows a greater breadth of humanity, which may mean that this person was looking into things a bit too deeply uh, <laughs> into the characters yeah. of Friends. And that made me like him more <laughs> after I heard that. But, yeah, generally it was sort of him and Phoebe I could sort of get rid of, I think, were the ones I could do without. Phoebe, yeah. How dare you, Dan? You're making a good case for you to be here. Oh my god, <laughs> Phoebe's amazing. She's so weird. She's so funny. Although it does annoy me that Lisa Kudrow just didn't learn the guitar because she didn't want. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be honest, I'm I'm quite a big fan of Friends. I find it so comforting. I know it's not very cool to be a fan of Friends these days, but I just find it. It's like it's just the easiest. Like it's like you can put it on any episode, any series, and you're like. Oh, there we are. It's sort of like... It's yeah, like, yeah, totally. It's like, it's like it's like televisual weed, you know? It's just like, <laughs> okay, 
now I'm comfortable. I'm not thinking yeah. too much. <laughs> yeah, but if you have too much of it, you will start feeling paranoid. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. I've been here for too long. I've been watching too much. Even Netflix <laughs> has asked me if I want to keep going. <laughs> but yeah, Ross is kind of a difficult one to like, though, isn't he? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's almost as if all the things he he does uh, are written to be dramatic and for comedic effect. But that in real life would be annoying. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I think that... The whole argument of were they on a break thing, hmm. I is I think the answer to that is yeah, technically. <laughs> but like, what would you want? Like Rachel and him decide they're going to go on a break after he's done all this crazy jealous shit, and then he immediately goes and sleeps with someone, and then doesn't tell Rachel. And it's like, come on, man. And if you're gonna if you're gonna be behaving like that on the island, I'm gonna get Andy Tate to beat you up. You know. <laughs> Yeah, he has a personality that's like he fits into that world okay, you know. But if he was on his own and you just have to hang out with him, I think there's there's a real smugness to him to a lot of his kind of interactions with the others. Yeah, and he he would just be so frustrating to be around all the time. Like when Joey and Chandler let him move in with them because he's because he's I think no longer able to live with Emily because he said the wrong name at the altar. <laughs> <laughs> he is is doing all this passive aggressive, be quiet shit. Hmm. that would be frustrating if you're on the island and he was like guys hmm. i do friends are so amazing that anyone who's listening to that knows exactly the gesture that i did without the visual cue <laughs> that's it yeah it's so part of part of uh, our sort of cultural understanding and probably to our detriment for a bit because we all say like too much now but uh but that's like fine <laughs> I think also, you know, you want someone consistent. And like when he is in one of his low points, he is really mopey and annoying in a way that none of the others are. Like, hi. Yeah. Yeah. It's that mopeyness that would be like, I know people are that and it's just sort of unbearable. It's like, come on, it's been six months now. Like, oh, let's move on. Let's move on and yeah. talk about something else. Yeah. Yeah. And all the, all the like dramatic, the, um, like big romantic gestures of like going to Rachel at just at the airport. Like that's so inconvenient, man. You yeah. should have told her the day before. Yeah, exactly. You had your time. I mean, like don't make don't make them make a split decision on the plane, yeah. holding everyone up. Nobody wants that. Imagine you're <laughs> going on holiday or it's your honeymoon and Ross from Friends gets on. Like, come on, Ross, you've had enough time. It's been what twelve <laughs> seasons of this. God's sake. It's also like I don't think he'd be very useful on the island. Like. Matt Hancock has probably been to the island before because, you know, he's a rich politician. Andrew Tate would be able to probably beat up some animals and we'd be able to eat those animals, even though I'm a vegetarian, which I don't think he'd like. But Ross would just be like, he'd just be talking to us about fossils he'd found on the beach. We'd be goosed. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could use one of his huge baggy suits to make a shelter with, but I think that's about about it. Yeah. What is he wearing when he gets... I think he'd be wearing those leather pants when we we crash land. (laughs) Nice. And we'd spend most of the time trying to get him out of them. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, we've got a good selection of dicks for the island and we're going to move on because now, mercifully, amongst the wreckage of the plane, there was some food and drink left over. Unfortunately for you, it's your least favourite food and drink in the world. What are they and why are they so bad? So what what we found in the the little the food area of the plane, that's what I imagine what they call it, is an amazing seafood platter. So like high quality sushi, seafood chowder, grilled sea bass, smoked salmon, like a shitload of caviar, um, a tuna melt, some smoked kipper, mussels, calamari, just everything that like I'm sure people who eat fish are like, that sounds amazing. Absolutely rank. (laughs) Absolutely disgraceful. 
I, I can't believe, and I also know I'm wrong. I, like everybody loves fish. I know that I'm wrong, but I can't believe that at one time there was like an early human who smelled a fish, then cooked a fish and smelled it again and was like, yeah, I'll put that in my mouth. I can't <laughs> believe anyone would do that. So like you can't, you don't eat any, any fish, anything aquatic. No, nothing aquatic is a good, <laughs> a good description. Yeah. I, I think it's disgusting. And whenever people try, cause it happens now and then, cause they want me to be a pescatarian, but that people will say, Oh, try this. It's not even that fishy. And I'm like, well, what's the point? Like <laughs> if it's not even that much of the flavor of the thing it is, I can't, I can't get over it. No one ever describes anything as fishy as a compliment. I think it's a, an absolute disgrace. Yeah, it's true, isn't it? It's one of those things you're like, oh, I've eaten this fish, but now I'm very fishy, so I better brush my teeth because that's an unpleasant thing for people to... But, yeah, yeah. But you obviously liked it enough to eat it in the first place. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's very strange, isn't it? And I like, I know that I'm wrong, and I love, I love cooking. I love, I, I cook food. I cook fish for my fiance and stuff, and I'm like, wow, gross. But I, ju- I, do, I know that this is all high quality stuff. I know like incredible sushi is really good. I know how much people like it, but I just can't get past the smell and the taste. And I used to eat it when I was a baby, but then I. I think my palate developed and now I'm a grown up and think, yeah. Ugh, fish. <laughs> so, I mean, even just being on the island anyway, it's like, yeah, you know, you're going to have a fish heavy diet, but now you've got even more yeah. of it. So it's kind of like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's probably the one thing we'll be able to get in abundance. Yeah, I'm going to add some more sand as well, you know, so like, <laughs> on the island. Yeah. I think the worst offender on that would be a tuna melt. Okay, yeah, I was going to ask if one is was if there's a hierarchy of bad fish for you. I guess, uh, I guess, like, hmm, I guess sushi and stuff. At least you've got the rice and the seaweed and stuff. I'd still, I'd still get something from that. And I guess the grilled sea bass or something. I don't know. I'd still hate it. The calamari, I could nibble off the batter. <laughs> but a tuna melt. Yeah. Everything else, I'm like, I get it. You do you. Eat what you want. I love it. Go get. Let's go get some sushi together. But a tuna melt, I think, is is the the biggest red flag of all. Like, I could hang out with Andrew Tate on this island all day, and if he didn't have a tuna melt, I'd be like, I was wrong about you, you know? <laughs> what is it specifically about a tuna? Is it the addition of cheese or something? Or Well, it's, the main part is the tuna. Like, you got this lovely bread. I love toasty. I love toasted sandwiches. I think they're amazing. And then the idea of putting what comes out of a tuna can that smells like that into it and then adding heat and getting this beautiful cheese to melt into shredded fish. Oh, it makes me feel sick. <laughs> <laughs> do you like tuna melts, Dan? I do like tuna melts, yeah. I'm, you I'm, fucking sicko. I'm definitely going to be your fourth choice for the island. I can see it happening. But um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there is something kind of a bit um, sad about it in that a tuna is such a majestic fish. You know, it's like they're huge, they're meaty, they're very yeah. fast swimmers. They're these like heroes of the deep and you know like in japan they'll like sell for thousands of pounds for these like rare tuna and the fact that like they just get minced up into this sort of gray fish and stuffed in a can that's like yeah yeah the kind of most average sort of fish you know like it's, it's it feels really undignified for them it's like i think that that is it like at least with like at least with some sashimi you're like whoa i mean they've this is very fresh. It's like the purest this fish could be as opposed to like stopping in a service station and getting <laughs> a gray. Pl- oh, 
Yeah. So gray. Gray and fishy. Those are the worst <laughs> colors and smells. I don't understand it. Everything else I wouldn't I wouldn't argue is bad. I can understand why people eat it, but that is you're an absolute sicko. <laughs> okay, well I think you've argued your case well. Uh what would you try and wash it all down with? A cup of English breakfast tea. Really? Okay. I think it's like symbolic of how little we deserve as a nation. I think <laughs> It's hot pond water. It's bitter. You have to put milk in it because it, otherwise it just tastes like nothing. It's the poor man's coffee. It has an incredibly terrible colonial past and it's disgusting. And people <laughs> who drink it are kidding themselves. <laughs> okay. I mean, this is like, tea has come up before and I found it hard to argue against then. <laughs> right? I am, a, I am a big tea fan. Why? I don't know. I just, I just, I guess I just enjoy the taste and it's hard to sort of pin down exactly what that is. You know, I find, yeah, I don't yeah. dislike coffee, but I find it a bit much sometimes, you know, which I know makes me sound incredibly sort of unadventurous about, oh no, that's too strong for me. But um, yeah. I'd kind of, I quite like that I can have. You're perfectly arguing my case for me. This is fantastic. <laughs> but I quite like that I can have several teas, you know, like if I have one coffee, I just sort of need a poo and and i'm a bit jittery you know what i mean so yeah, if you yeah, like yeah. something it's nice to be able to have quite a lot of it um true true very but true. i do hate that it's sort of the thing we're most associated with as brits you know it's like oh you and your tea like have a cup of tea and watch the coronation it's like it's it's a crap national mascot you know it's sort of like but it's so definitive of, of us it's stolen from somewhere else <laughs> it like yorkshire tea spoiler alert not from yorkshire and it's just like you boil, you boil some leaves and you pour it out and it doesn't really taste like anything. And then you pour loads of milk on it. So anything it did taste like, it's now just got milk in it. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I do think it's a bit of a crap thing. And, you know, it's just like, yeah, your woolly jumper and your cardigan and your little <laughs> flags. It's like, you know, and, and I agree with the like colonial past thing. It's kind of, it is like, yeah, it's a very British thing to do. <laughs> I, I like like a herbal tea. I'm not I'm not throwing them under the bus. Or like I also like oh God. I'm really not doing. <laughs> I'm really making a case for like oh yeah, you'd get on well with Matt Hancock. But I love an oolong. Uh, no, a lapsang sushang. Okay. Tea like the smoky tea. Love smoky tea. That that will will be okay. But yeah, just your standard breakfast tea with no sugar. What is the point? It's weird though as well, like the more you drink tea, you know, you get like whatever hot drink you're into, you're very specific after a while. And it's like, if you're in the office, like I hate, I won't just drink tea for the sake of it. Like if I'm in the office, there's certain people I wouldn't let make me a cup of tea, you know? And like, if it's like really (laughs) shit tea and they're going to make it and it's really milky and sort of gray. And I just think like- They've left the tea bag in sort of thing. I just think, what is the point in this? I don't know what anyone's getting out of that. So it can be a terrible, terrible drink. I do also think like this is another part of it that, again, you're coming on this island, mate, because like part of the difficulty with tea is that we'd have all these conversations about who makes the best cup of tea and like whether you put the milk in first. And I just don't care. I just uh, like I don't care how you're preparing this boring, bitter drink. It's a bit like friends, you know, in that, like, I find it comforting and I enjoy consuming it, but I don't want to sort of, like, have a long chat. I don't want a T-shirt with the logo on, like, you know, when they sort of, like, had that, like, um, when they had those sort of, like, pop-up friends, 
like there's like a friends festival or something like that you know like that's all too much you know i don't want to get i hope they called it a friendstival <laughs> but i don't want to get so into it you know it's like i don't want to yeah i don't want to have the long conversations i just want a nice cup of tea and i don't want to like go oh nothing better than a nice cup of tea you know yeah. could could i request that on the island there's like a magical cupboard that we know that anytime you open it, something will be there. And every time I open it, there's just a tea bag, a different sort of brand of English breakfast tea and yeah. milk. That's absolutely yours. And I tell you what, Great. just to make it even worse, we're just going to give you this little little uh, pots of milk off the plane as well. To make, you know, the <laughs> UHT. Just to yeah, like, yeah, great. To really annoy you. I mean, the idea of Andrew Tate trying to open one of those is quite amusing. I think he'd just crush it in his hand over <laughs> yeah. the top and it would squeeze like you would a, like a lemon or something. Hmm. Do we get to work out how the plane crashed? I have more questions about the concept of the podcast. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, sure. No, I mean, I haven't, I haven't, dis- I haven't ever really delved that deep. But yeah, we can go for it. Well, I tell you what, this is my way of getting my dishonourable mentions in. Okay. So I was on, I was on the plane having a great time, drinking coffee and giving the finger to anyone uh, <laughs> drinking tea, and then <laughs> my high school bully, who I, I'm not going to name because that feels mean. It feels like something he would do. Uh, he'd skateboard down the aisle because he was very good at skateboarding and uh, he'd be snorting cocaine because he used to do that too. Um, and he'd be doing his rap. I remember a little bit of a rap that he did at school. <laughs> um, so his rap, he'd be skating down the aisle going, blast off 10 to the zero. Don't be a hero. Drink Malibu. Don't drink beer though. People look at me like I'm some kind of weirdo. Pretty good stuff. Oh God. Malibu. Pretty good stuff. <laughs> yeah, Malibu. Oh, I actually quite like Malibu. And anyway, he would uh, bust into the cockpit and kill the pilots, and then we just go down. So that's how it would. Uh, that's how it happened. And he'd die in the crash, which I'm not saying I'd be happy about. Oh, I don't know. Sounds like a pretty annoying guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He wasn't. He wasn't yeah. very nice. I mean, yeah, it might just be that the plane just breaks apart, having to have all these dicks on board, and unfortunately, you were <laughs> there the in the middle of, of it. their bullshit. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is too much. Can't take it. Just wouldn't I look around and be like, "Hold on, how did I? Am I one of them? Am I someone's dick?" <laughs> no, it's just a bad day for you. I think you know. And um, thanks, you Tom. Know, now you're just going to make the best of it. Great. <laughs> okay. Well, look. You know, we've we've got pretty good uh, results so far. I, I'm find, finding your island an uncomfortable uh, place for you to be. You know, and I can tell that for you, it's 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 not an easy an easy time either. But we're hopefully going to distract you slightly because fortunately, you won't be without entertainment on the island. The plane's entertainment system continues to work, but just your luck, it only has two working settings. One is your least favorite film of all time, and the other is your least favorite song. What are they and why? So we'll go with the song first because I think I'll talk about the film for about two hours. Um, the song, again, hard to choose. I think maybe maybe we'd have a little bit of Blurred Lines by Robin Thicke, maybe mm-hmm. a bit of Mr. Brightside, maybe a bit of Sweet Caroline. Yep. And every time it comes on, Matt Hancock goes, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> but I, I, they, all, they all wind me up for various different reasons. But I think the worst thing to be on this desert island with would be just the theme tune to the US office on a loop. Okay, okay. Because I, I like the song. It, like, it's totally fine. And it's something that I associate with comfort and with watching like during the pandemic and having on. And anytime you hear it, and sometimes I'll hear my fiance, you just hear from the other room. I actually really like the theme tune to The Office. I think it's really fun, but I think there'd be something about being stuck on an island because I think I could find the fun in like 
in Sweet Caroline or Mr. Brightside. I think I could enjoy that. I just think they're a bit overplayed and annoying with other people. But the unfulfilled expectation of having this joyful show never play, but just hear the introduction, which on its own is like just a weird sound, would be nightmarish. <laughs> Yeah, it's like sort of smelling the food cooking, but never getting to eat it, isn't it? It's, uh... Oh my God, yeah. Maybe all the seafood platter could smell like food that I love, could smell like incredible aubergine curries and like pizza and burgers. And then I bite into it and it's just a tuna melt every single time. Yeah, I think that's a good thing that's going to drive you a bit mad. Because every now and again, you're so bored. You're like, do you want to listen to some music? All right. Oh God, I wish I could be watching the American office right now, you know. (laughs) It's a good one for like nice and sort of bordering on insane, I think. So yeah, it's good. Um, What would your film choice be? So the film would be a film called Home Sweet Home Alone, which I believe is a 2021 movie. And it's it's within the world of Home Alone. I think it's like, I don't know if it's a remake or a reboot, but it's set in the same universe. And it is like one of the most awful things I think that's ever been made. And I don't just mean films. I think I mean in anything. <laughs> and so, because obviously I imagine most listeners by now are familiar uh, with the Home Alone films, you know, you've got Home Alone 1 and 2. I think there were more after that as well, weren't there? Like, I think there was like at least a third one. I think there's about five or six. It's insane. Mm. Yeah, I saw on Disney Plus recently, there was a load more. At Christmas, I was like, right, my son is, well, he's now six, but he's five at the time. And I thought, this is the time. I'm going to watch Home Alone with you. This is going to be great. <laughs> and then you saw the other ones. He goes, oh, what about those? And I'm like, no, no, they don't count. So, but they say Home Alone. It's like, no, they don't exist. Let me tell you, son, <laughs> we're not watching those. That's the end of it. Because <laughs> I think Home Alone is such an amazing movie, mm. the first one. It's so brilliant. And Home Alone 2 amazing i think in both movies they do such a great job of like all of the comedy is is like driving the plot forwards and all of the exposition is is comedic and they solve all the problems in home alone 2 of like hey how could this happen again i think they do it so adeptly and all of the lessons that they learned from making home alone 2 were completely thrown out the window for home sweet home alone (laughs) Like it, there's there's so much wrong with it. Like Rob Delaney, Ellie Kempner, and Ashling B are all in it. L- Pete Holmes, love them all as performers and actors. I think they're amazing, but they look like idiots in this film. It's so <laughs> bad. I, I've got so many notes on this, and I can't even I can't even begin. So the little kid who's in it, sat, he speaks like a like a jaded Hollywood screenwriter. <laughs> like there's no attempt to put the voice of the kid into the voice of the kid. He he just. He has he has this meeting with Rob Delaney at the start and is just cracking wise all over the place. And then he's like, you can't promise a kid a McDonald's and not give him one. And then Rob Delaney's like, what a McShame. <laughs> and it's like, what's that a play on? I don't understand. And the whole, the whole film, I think, treats the audience like they're really, really stupid. Uh, like at one point, the, the kid walks past this, this girl who we've not met yet. And she says, don't touch me, perv. I'm your sister. It's like you can't introduce a character by saying their relationship to the person that they're talking to. Yeah. You know, there's always sequels where you kind of think, really, how are you going to stretch that? Like even Home Alone 2, you know, as you said, they kind of worked out how they were going to leave him behind a second time. Yeah. But even at the time, it was like, really? Because the last thing you're going to do is forget your kid a second time. And they kind of got around that. But then it's like, you've got to stop leaving your kid now. Okay, you've just, you've just <laughs> got to stop it. 
Um, it's just not acceptable. Yeah, yeah. Like we like the slapstick thing, but after a while, it's like you've just got to find a new universe to inhabit. Like just just find a new thing to do now. Well, yeah, you just don't need to do it. Also, I think I actually think the problem with this one is that the slapstick isn't very good. Like if you were still going to be doing this, if you're still doing the slapstick, do a good job. But in this, they cut away the slapstick sequences. They cut away at the wrong points. They they don't let you see the exciting bit happen a lot of the time. And it's just not as... Also, the pain that Hank and Marv experience in the first one and the second, the pain is cumulative. But in this, they just seem to shake it off a bit better. And the main thing I think that this film falls apart with is that you are rooting for the people who are doing the break-in. So they've tried to make it nuanced. They've tried to make, like, there's a good reason why they're breaking in. And that good reason is is very deftly described in the in the plot where one of the characters just goes, we can't afford this house now on your salary alone. It's like, why are you telling your husband that? He knows, you know. <laughs> like, it's like they know there's a camera there, so they have to explain everything for people. And so you're rooting, you're rooting for the villains. And it was much better when the villains were just two horrible people with no nuance. They were just bad people. Yeah, like the fact that they would rob a house but also leave all the water running to flood it as well. Yeah. It's like, you dicks, you know, this is... Yeah. I hope you do get hit by a brick fall, you know, thrown from, by yeah. a seven-year-old off a building. Yeah. Oh, it's... And it's it's all just very... It feels very referential. And there's a bit where... So they clearly couldn't get Macaulay Culkin, but they got the guy who's playing Buzz to play a police officer. And the way they do that reveal, they do this really nice thing where they, they, they pull in onto the house and very subtly they have a sign that says McAllister Home Security. And you're like, oh, cool touch, guys. Nice to imagine that Kevin went on to do that. And then later, Buzz just turns up as a police officer. And he they rather than like use this as a big punchline, they just they zoom in on his face and then they zoom in on his name tag to be like, it's the same guy. <laughs> this is McAllister. And then the reason the police don't get involved with the break-in is because Buzz says, my brother does this every year. He calls he calls in a fake home invasion just to get back at me. And it's the only real, only real believable thing in the film is the incompetence of the police. <laughs> like that, I, I, that made sense. <laughs> it's a weird thing though, isn't it? Because... You know, our generation who grew up with Home Alone and Home Alone 2, you know, like I said, you know, it was really nice for me to watch it with my son. But I want to watch the originals with my son. And, you know, there may be a few things yeah. where, like, at one point he said, how come it's only white people? And you're like, that's a good point that maybe totally. would have been addressed and we'll talk about that and that's fine. But it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I get the joy of re-watching this with my son now. I don't want to watch a new version with him, you know, it's like, who are you making this for? Because if it's if it's for an entirely new audience, just make a new film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this this one's pretty white too. If you're going to address those issues, actually address them rather than just being like, nah. Also, like we'll cast a uh, like one of the jokes is that they break into the wrong house and they break into a black family's house who are just like hanging out. But it's like, did they have to be? Why? Mm? Like, what's the joke here? Is that like, well, they definitely look different to the kid. I didn't, mm. it felt weird. Mm. It felt weird. <laughs> the only good thing in the film is that 19 minutes and 20 seconds in, this is the first and only joke in the film, which is Jim Rash, who is an international treasure. I don't know if you've seen Communities, Dean Pelton in Communities, amazing. He plays a guy who's conducting them in a bell ringing ceremony um, at a nursing home. Also, they're at the bell ringing ceremony, like dinging bells and having a full conversation whilst doing it, and no one can hear it. It's all so yeah. stupid, Dan. 
Yeah. Oh. I think one thing we come back to in this podcast quite often is like sometimes it's worse to have something that's like close to or related to something that you like on the island than it is to have something that's just complete. Yeah. In, you know, this you'd just be thinking, it's not Home Alone. I wish we could just watch Home Alone the whole time. Yeah. You know, but you couldn't. And it's, I think that's the biggest crime of this thing. If it was just a bad film, I'd be like, whatever. But it takes such a perfect formula and it does it seemingly with, seemingly with no respect mm. or understanding for the original. It just it's just like, oh, we'll just cash in on this. Like there's literally a scene where the kid imagines himself talking to the police officer outside who is Buzz, and Buzz says, You're home alone. Oh, that's why they called it this. Oh, what is that? Oh, because the kid Whoa, they should have said that in the number one and two. Maybe they would have been successful. <laughs> Oh man, it sounds so bad. I might have to watch it now, but um, also maybe I'll just. I'm really. I also. I know it. There's nothing worse than listening to someone just complain about a thing you haven't seen. But it's uh, <laughs> not at all. Oh, it's bad. Not at all. It sounds like an absolute bag of shite. So <laughs> I think it's a fine choice. Fine choice. It's a really good exercise in how not to make a film. So if you like any screenwriters out there wanting to look at it and directors and indeed actors <laughs> fair <laughs> enough okay well finally the island is overrun by the biggest dick of all the animals which animal is it and why i actually this is i found this very difficult because obviously there's there's like i could choose mosquitoes that wouldn't be great that'd be very very annoying but i think what we're on a desert island i think it's going to be hot all the time what freaks me out beyond anything is being in the sea and not being able to see your feet and feeling things touch your feet. Mm. And I think just a load of like delicious fish and violent fish, like small sharks and stuff and eels and stingray, but I can never see them. They're just below the surface and they keep touching my feet. So I just can't go in the water. That would that would drive me crazy and also would... Uh, it would be an ample supply of food that I wouldn't be able to have. <laughs> yeah, there's something about that, isn't there? Like, you know, even if it's just a bit of seaweed, it's like, oh, get get me out of here, get me out of here. Yeah, yeah. It's I, it just every time it happens, I'm like, I go into the sea, I'm like, you're fine, you're fine, and then something will touch me, and I'll go, ah! and run away, <laughs> you know? Um, and I don't think there's another animal. Like, obviously, like having a bear on the island would be difficult, but at least you can see a bear. I think there's something about the unknown hmm. that just, oh. Yeah, it's like if you're sort of snorkeling or something and there's, you know, you can see like coral or reefs or rocks or whatever. It sort of feels safer there when it's just like you're in the water and you just like there's so much with nothing in it. It's just so featureless. You just imagine like something coming out of it. You yeah, know, I yeah. don't know why that's more scary. It's yeah, I don't like it. I could also there could be like a loud seagull just above my bed. That'd be annoying. Yeah, they are fucking annoying as well. Yeah, so just lots of very tame uh, aquatic wildlife that will come up and, and just give you a little nuzzle. Yeah, yeah. And they're probably really nice. And if I got to know them, like it would be fine. But <laughs> I just can't or can't deal with it. Be walking with my tuna melt and my cup of tea, spilling it all over the shop. <laughs> Fair play. Okay, well, look, I think you've done a great job today. Uh, your choices have been well thought out. I can tell how uncomfortable they've made you. And um, and you've done a wonderful job. And for a positive man, you've got into the spirit of it wonderfully. So thank you. I hope that the rest of your day is, is upbeat and it won't be too annoying and, and you can shed all these negative feelings. Oh, thanks, Dan. That was, so, that was such good aftercare. I really liked that. Thanks so much. It was, it was great to be here. I'm very excited about living on this island. Getting beaten up by Andrew Tate. 
hugging Matt Hancock and a Ross Geller, <laughs> having a lovely nap with Ross Geller that he would feel he'd feel sort of toxic shame about. But I'd I'd really like to spoon Ross Geller. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, now, Will, you're on Twitter and on socials, so we can sort of catch up with your stuff there. Is there anything you're up to that you want to tell everyone about at the minute? Uh, nothing live. I've got a podcast called Legitimate Likes, uh, which is a podcast where we look at humanity's fascinations and try to work out if they deserve all the praise. Um, and that's good fun. So you can download that, listen to that after you've listened to this episode. Uh, but otherwise, just follow me online and uh, and in person if you are so inclined. <laughs> but from a respectful distance. Yeah, yeah, just a nice normal distance. Like if you could stay in bodies of water and just go below the surface and <laughs> rub into my legs, that's how I like my fans. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you, Will, so much for coming on Desert Island, Dixon. It's been a pleasure, mate. Thanks so much, Dan. Bye. So there you go, another episode done, and there's plenty more where that came from. And uh, as if to prove it, we're going to be publishing more. So snap them up, subscribe so you don't miss them. And always remember, if you sit there listening and thinking, God, I tell you who I want to put on the island or who I'd hate to be stuck with or the thing that would drive me mad would be this then you go and tell us you go right ahead and go to dickspod.com slash contact write us a little email doesn't even have to be long as long or as short as you want and we will get it on our episode of compact dicks where we have your submissions and make a podcast out of that before I go, I'm just going to say that Desert Island X was a sync clap production, dreamt up and produced by James Deacon, presented and produced by me, Dan Benedictus, edited by the angel-like hands of Chris Attaway this episode. And thanks, as always, to John Deacon. He's just a supportive man and, and gives us lots of encouragement. So thanks, John. That's it. I'm babbling. Goodbye forever. Not forever. Just goodbye.